session, we are going to hear uh, from God's Word. Uh, so I'm gonna welcome up uh, Pastor Dan. Now I gotta apologise, he's not a reverend. Uh, so that's, uh, that's a shame, but I'm sure he'll still preach like a rev. And um, it is such a privilege and honour to have you, Dan, and share God's Word with us. As far as I'm concerned, man, I'd give you an honorary reverend, um, but yeah, I don't know if they hand them out. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Oh, can I pray? Yes, I'll please. pray for you. I was waiting for that. Yeah. A rev would do that. I'm still a pastor too, so yeah. Okay, let's pray together as we come to hear from God's Word. Father, uh, we thank You so much uh, for Your Word. It's so powerful and I, it blows my mind how applicable and how relevant Your Word is to our lives today. And uh, Lord, we just pray now that as we hear Your Word, that You'd soften our hearts, You'd open our hearts up for what You wanna say to us. And uh, again, as I often always pray, great God, but we don't wanna just be hearers of the Word, we wanna be doers of the Word. And so we just pray tonight um, that as Dan shares, uh, as you speak through him, uh, that we'd walk out of here challenged in some way and that Holy Spirit, you'd help us to apply these things to our lives. So we thank you, great God. Bless Dan now as he shares in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen, amen. So good, great to be here with you all. I had a really cool intro, but... Um... It doesn't fit in with what Twig said, so I'll just skip that. Um, no, it's great. We're, tonight, we're actually going through, continuing our series. We had a bit of an uh, intermission there with Missions Conference, um, but in, in a very tangible way, this is an, a clear extension of what we were talking about as we were thinking around mission and thinking about what our role is in the world as Christians. Um, so we're continuing the series, The Seven Signs of life. And if you've been tracking with us, this is essentially what Jesus is giving us a picture of, is who God is. That's the picture that he's giving us. Um, so we've seen Jesus changing water into wine. We've seen um, him heal a royal official's son from a distance. We've seen him heal a man who had been lame for 38 years. And we've seen him feed 5,000 people by multiplying bread and fish. And Twig also talked around how Jesus walked on the water, dispelling the fear of the disciples. So what we've seen, the picture of God that we're getting here is that he is someone who has life without limit. Not only does he have life without limit, but he wants us to share in his life, for us to share in the divine life to bring abundance and wholeness, to reveal His love for us and nearness to us to such an extent that all fear is removed from our lives. This is who Jesus is. This is who God is. Very popular passage, John 3, 16 to 18 says this, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Jesus is not just some guy who's roaming around first century Palestine wanting followers to think he's the goat of miracles and teaching. Goat, for those who are maybe a bit older, is the greatest of all time. 
um, not the animal, just in case. So he's gathering followers, he's calling people to follow him, but to believe in him so that he can make them like him, people who are overflowing with life. So there are ultimately two responses that people have to who Jesus is. Either you believe in him and see that he has life, or you believe that life is to be had somewhere else. And Jesus' express claim is that there is no other unlimited source of life. All other sources pale in comparison to the quantity and quality of life that Jesus has. So Jesus is showing us three things really, that God loves us, that he is the only one who has life without limitations and that we can have that life through him. These are what we've been seeing in these miracles. We've been seeing Jesus reveal to us God's very nature, his love for us, his abundance of life, and how we can enter into that life. And tonight, we've arrived at the sixth sign Jesus of Jesus showing us who he is. And so we're going to John 9, verses 1 to 12, and then we're going to pick up again in verses 35 to 41. It says this, As Jesus went along, he saw a a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes, told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked. I do, I do not know, he said. And so what ends up happening to this man who's healed, these people are asking all these questions, they take him to uh, the Pharisees so they can get some sort of professional opinion on what's happened um, in this case and who Jesus is. And so the Pharisees, they question him. They actually even bring his parents in to confirm whether he has been blind from birth. And they confirm, yep, blind as a bat. But what the Pharisees really want to prove is that Jesus is not from God. So they're effectively pressing this guy 
question on question, trying to find out how they can slight Jesus. And finally, they say this, tell the truth, we know Jesus is a sinner. And the guy says to them, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. They keep on going at him until finally this, the, the guy who's been healed, he says this, essentially, wow, you've really, you're really wanting to know a whole heap about Jesus. You must wanna become his disciples as well. At this, they hurl insults at him and the interrogation ends when the blind man who is now, can now see reasons that Jesus must have been from God if he's been healed. Then the Pharisees tell him, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. And this is where we pick up again in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and when, when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim to see, your guilt remains. This is God's word for us tonight. I actually have a story to tell and um, I'm not particularly proud of this, but we had a house uh, when I was younger, a teenager actually, and this house had a, a, a really big design floor. And this design floor was that the bathroom light switch was on the outside of the bathroom. So if you know what teenage boys are like, uh, you're probably guessing where this would sort of go. And so for me, as a teenager and a boy, this meant whenever someone was in the shower at night, lights are on, they're just doing their thing, you walk past and you hear the shower going, naturally there is this need, an absolute need to just flick the switch leave the person in darkness. So you can just, you know, hear the person call out, scream, cuss, out, cuss you out, whatever. You're just, there's something in you that just has to do that. I'd done it multiple times before to my siblings. And to be honest, they'd gotten, gotten tired of it. It wasn't really having any effect. So I'd stopped doing it for a few months. But one night in particular, I'm walking past and I hear the shower and there's this urge I've got to flick the switch. A wiser man would have known that that was temptation. But here I am walking past and it's my brother in the shower, flick the switch. But nothing, no cry out, no, um, no call out to, to you know, 
cuss me out, or not that he ever did really cuss me out, but um, so nothing comes. It's so disappointing when that happens. And I'm standing there and I'm like, come on, how boring is this? And I'm just about to turn and leave when all of a sudden I hear this desperate cry for help. Um, it's, it's like a, a deep groan from your inner being. I hear my brother go, oh, mom, mom. And I'm like, whoa, what, like what's going on here? You, you, like that's just 101. You don't get your parents involved in sibling sort of stuff. So I quickly flick the light on and get out of there. Um, and so I'm like, you know, what sort of prompted that response? A few minutes later, my brother comes out of the shower and he's clearly been crying. And I'm like, geez, come on, Rob, that's, that's a bit much. Doesn't want to talk to me. Uh, after a while, he sort of comes, comes to and he explains to me his perspective on this situation. Now what happened, this is my brother's perspective. He's having a shower. Everything is going as planned shampoo, lathering it in, everything's going okay. You know when sometimes the shampoo starts to just trickle down and gets right into the corner of your eye, that hit. So straight away, closes his eyes, still pretty normal, continues lathering his hair, rinses his hair, opens his eyes, he is blind. <laughs> In a panic, he drops to the floor and he cries out, Mom, Mom. In reality, he didn't realize that while he had his eyes closed, obviously I had turned the light off. Sometimes we think that we have the power to see in ourselves. But if we're in darkness, we actually don't have a hope of seeing anything. No matter how good we think our eyesight is, we're effectively blind. And Jesus' claim is that our world has become so distorted, so far from what it's, it was originally intended to be, that we are effectively in the dark. We might think that we have 20-20 vision, we might think that we can see things as they are, but all that we're really seeing is a false view of reality, lies and deception. Some of the Jewish people of the time obviously believed that if a person had a sickness or a disability, it must have been because of something they or maybe their parents had done wrong in the past. And that's even what Jesus' disciples were thinking when they asked him this question, who sinned? We even have a, a, a way of thinking along these lines in our society today. Uh, we want people to get what they deserve. And so when the stars align, when someone who's doing something wrong um, falls ill or, or is hurt in a certain way, we tend to think along the lines of their actions have caused their demise. Or we have the phrase, serves them right. All the people were doing in the past in first century Palestine, all they were doing is just taking that logic a step further and flipping it and saying, if something bad is happening to you, then it must be because you deserve it. And in this encounter, Jesus dispels this kind of thinking. 
He says that the blind man is not blind because of his own sin or the sin of his parents, but this happens so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And what is the work of God? Jesus says to bring light. But in this situation, there's a sense that blindness is a given. It's not his sin or his parents, but he's in a state of darkness. He's not a worse sinner because he's blind, but he's a product of the broad scale problem of sin in our world. This problem means that we are all in the dark, whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not. Everyone's in the dark, no one can see. But the question for us is this, what happens when the lights are turned on? Who is able to see and who is left blind? So tonight we're going to take a look at two things. What does it mean to be blind and what does it mean to see? I like this. I like actually being able to see you guys. That's great. Oh, okay, yeah, no, put it down. That's okay. You can turn that down. So what does it mean to be blind? We've got Jesus saying here, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Obviously, we've literally got a blind man in this passage who gets healed and can see. But what about the people who see that will become blind? What, is it, what does it mean to be blind? And here we see there's a blindness that comes from us being in the dark, being born into a world that is turned away from God, tainted by sin. Not only are we affected by this darkness, but we also contribute to it. We, we suffer because of the decisions and actions of other people. And unfortunately, we also contribute to this problem. But the darkness we're in is so thick that we don't even notice how much we're affected by it and how much we're contributing to it. In the first century, there was a group of people who were clearly affected by this problem of sin. The blind, the lame, the poor, they were all assumed to be somehow more sinful than those around them. So people pushed them away to the fringes. And those who did the pushing actually felt completely justified in what they were doing. It made sense for them to do that in their system of thinking. And along comes Jesus and he turns that system on its head. No, those who are being marginalized aren't more sinful. And he heals the blind man to back up what he's saying, to prove that, having compassion on the man. But Jesus doesn't only stop there, he goes further and he says that those who have a wrong understanding of how things work are actually the ones who are blind. And in this passage, ironically, the people who are blind are everyone but the man who is physically blind. 
And if they're blind to who Jesus is, it's because they're blind to who God is. Those who knew the blind man are actually genuinely awestruck at this miracle, but they're more interested in how it happened than who was behind it. The Pharisees also care about how, but they've got a presupposition that Jesus is a fraud. They already believe Jesus is a fraud. Their focus is on discrediting Jesus. The parents of the blind man can even confirm that this miracle has happened. It definitely did happen. But they don't want to get dragged into the debate of who Jesus is. They don't want to associate themselves with Jesus because they're, they're afraid of what the leaders will think of them. They might get kicked out of their community. They'll be rejected. They already feel like outsiders because they've had a child who was born blind. The people already look down on them. So we start to see here that at the center of this idea of blindness is the identity of Jesus, people wrestling with who Jesus is, already making up in their minds who Jesus is. On the balance of the evidence, the Pharisees have to affirm that Jesus really did heal the man. They agree, the man is healed. So they shift gears, they want some sort of um, concession or settlement if they can get the healed man to confess that Jesus is not from God, that he's a sinner, then everything can go back to normal. Doesn't matter that there was a miracle. They can keep believing what they already believe, that Jesus is not God, and that they're right in their assessment of things. And we actually find in our own lives that, that there's a level of comfort and security in the way that we order and make sense of the world around us the presuppositions we have, there's, there's, there's a level of comfort to, in reasoning out, in mapping out how things work, to find out, to find out um, what, how things work is actually an incredibly good thing. That's not a bad thing. The problem is when we take these presuppositions that we have and we base our conclusions off them. Jesus is saying our presuppositions blind us if we are unwilling to believe that Jesus is who he claims to be, then we are shrouded in darkness. We've allowed a presupposition to determine what we believe. I really wanna, wanna highlight here, this isn't a religious problem. This isn't something that, that the first century um, people had a problem with and, and and they had presuppositions that they couldn't see behind. Maybe they, they didn't have science. Or this is, this is not a first century problem. This is a human problem. We're all born into this problem, this way of thinking that we have the power in ourselves to see things the way that they really are. There's a, actually an incredible demonstration of this in the scientific world in the early 20th century, 1925 actually. Cecilia Payne uh, was a woman who published a thesis through Harvard's College for Women because um, Harvard didn't actually 
uh, uh, grant doc doctoral degrees to women at that time. Um, and she actually discovered that the sun and other stars were made up of predominantly hydrogen and helium. And this, this discovery flew in the face of the scientific consensus of the time, uh, who thought that the composition of the sun and earth were actually similar. What, was, what made up the sun and the earth was similar. The only difference was the temperature. This is what they believed. And so Cecilia, excited about her new discovery, sends her thesis off to Henry Russell at Princeton University, one of the leading astrologers um, at the time. And after reading Cecilia's thesis, Russell actually feels sorry for Cecilia. Sorry that she could be so blind. And he wrote these words back to her. It is clearly impossible that hydrogen should be a million times more abundant than the metals. Cecilia, even though she'd gathered all the evidence, she'd seen it with her own eyes, she felt the pressure of the leaders in the scientific community. And she actually caved. She added these words to the end of her thesis that the amounts of hydrogen and helium are improbably high and almost certainly not real. Four years, later, four years later, her findings were actually confirmed to be true. Her PhD is now considered one of the most brilliant works in astronomy, and it became the standard textbook in that field. Here's what Cecilia wrote after her findings were confirmed. I was to blame for not having pressed my point. If you are sure of your facts, you should defend your position. This is a warning for us. Just because the world sees things in a certain way, just because a certain group of people see things in a certain way, it doesn't make it default it doesn't make it true by default. Jesus' claim is that the world is in darkness and he has come to bring light. The blind man knew the facts. All I know is that once I was blind and now I see. The world as he saw it before was completely turned on its head, a new reality was set before him. He knew Jesus' name, but he didn't actually even know really who he was or where he was, in fact. In, in verse 35, we saw Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. He saw the light. He saw the truth of who Jesus is. Being in the dark, being blind is part of being born into the human sinful state, the condition of our world. We get glimpses of light 
of truth, religious truths, natural truths, scientific truths, but we make those glimpses the main thing. We're blind to our presuppositions. We can become fearful of what others think or fearful that everyone has their own truth to peddle. So we lock down, we, we, we sort of um, um, internalize what we believe, we distrust everyone else. There's, there's so much fear and distrust in our world, so much darkness that when the light of the world appears, truth himself, we find it hard to even see him the only way to life. C.S. Lewis in his final book of the Narnia series is trying to grapple with this reality and he puts it in this way. He's talking about people who no longer trust anyone to challenge their presuppositions. If this is Aslan, the lion speaking, he says, you see, they will not let us help them. They have chosen cunning instead of belief. Their prison is only in their own minds, yet they are in that prison and so afraid of being taken in that they cannot be taken out. We can't let our presuppositions determine what we believe. If we do that, we close ourselves off to truth. My prayer here is that we be people who do not do that. If you're here today and you've believed that God cannot be real in the past, if you've believed maybe that this is just wish fulfillment, that is a presupposition. I pray that you'll be able to let go of that, that we can see light, that we might be able to see And what are we meant to be seeing? If you have believed in Jesus, you've seen him. Maybe you're just starting on that journey, beginning to see him. What exactly are we seeing? We started out in John 3, where we see that Jesus is on about showing us that he loves us, that God loves us that he is the only one who has life without limit and that we can have life through him. Jesus' presence and his miracles not only show us his love for us, his abundance of life, but they invite us into that love, to enter into that life. What does it mean to know Jesus as the light of the world, the one who opens our eyes? C.S. Lewis again, who was a former atheist, says this. He says, I believe in Jesus as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. When we see Jesus, we begin to see all of reality as it truly is. But to see him, we need to believe in him. 
And as we begin to see him, he reveals to us who he really is, a person bursting with life. There's actually an incredible parallel to this passage towards the end of John, where Jesus has died and is resurrected and his disciples, not knowing that he's alive, are fearful and have locked themselves up in a room uh, because they're afraid that the Jewish leaders might come after them as well. And so they're there and Jesus all of a sudden is in the room with them and he says, peace be with you. And it says the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And then Jesus said again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is what has been promised that we would have the very same life that Jesus has through the Holy Spirit. And what does this life look like? He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The blind man believed and was sent. He received sight. He believed even before he could physically see. And when he received his sight, he became a living, breathing, seeing light for others. We see that Jesus was sent to us to bring peace to us, to reveal his love for us, to deal with our problem of sin, to shine light on our problem of blindness so that we can have life and sight as he has. He was sent to bring light where there was only darkness, to bring sight to us who were blind. Believing is seeing. Does that challenge your presuppositions? As we believe that Jesus was sent for us, for this very purpose, to bring us into the light of life, we find that our eyes are opened and we begin to see all of reality anew. Everything comes to life in the light of who Jesus is. Relationships come to life. Marriages, our everyday routines, even funerals can come to light in the light of who Jesus is. Without him, there is only a vague sense of reality, of, of a pseudo reality, only darkness, shadows. To see Jesus as the light of the world is to become light ourselves by his Holy Spirit. We become sent people. Jesus said again, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you to be light. If you're a Christian here tonight, if you have believed in Jesus and have now come to see him in all of reality, you know that this light of life is for others. We carry the light of life into the darkness of our world, into the broken and hurting places, into the everyday places 
of friends, family, maybe even people who we wouldn't normally associate with. Just like the man who was born blind, we can have full confidence in the facts of what we've seen through Jesus. Peter says it this way, that we were called to walk in the light of who Jesus is, that we can have the light of life for others. As we come to a close, I just wanna, if you're a Christian here tonight, and there are people that you know around you who, who maybe are in a space of, of deep hurt, of deep pain, who don't know this life, who don't know this light. This is a time when we come in, when we, as we're worshiping here, this is a time for you to cry out to God for them, that he might reveal himself to them, that they might put their trust in him. This is what we do. This is who we are. Maybe you've lost that sense as a Christian, the fullness of life, the light of life, the sense that Jesus is a complete game changer that reframes all of reality, every aspect of our lives. Maybe you've had moments in the past where you've had a sense of that, glimpses, but you've lost your focus. Maybe your outlook on life is a bit hazy at the moment. As we worship, this is an opportunity to refocus, to reaffirm your trust and your belief in Jesus, that He might reveal to you the light of life, to bring light into the dark spaces of your life and the world around you as well. So as you worship, fix your eyes on the one who loves you and has given himself completely for you so that you can live through him, so that you can live like him without limit. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't consider yourself a Christian. Maybe you've been exploring faith or maybe you, you consider yourself a Christian, but you've never had a sense of this, this light, this fullness of life. I just wanna say, I, I don't have any ulterior agenda here. My cards are fully on the table. My desire is that you would know this life. I've come to know it myself. I can honestly stand here and say that I once was blind but now I see. My desire for you is that you would know this life. So if that's you, as we continue in worship, this is a chance as you're singing the words, just to say, Jesus, I believe in you. Help me to see. Put your trust in Him. Maybe as you're singing the words, even sing the words out as if they're your own. Call out to God. He's waiting. He is alive. Let's pray. Father, we come to you.
because of what you've done in your Son, Jesus, because you've revealed yourself to us, that you love us. You've shown us that there's no limit to the life that you have. And incredibly, you've said, this is the life that you want for us. And we want nothing less. We want to know you. We want to see all of reality in the light of who you are. We wanna see things as they are. We don't wanna be living in darkness. And so we pray now by your Holy Spirit, come open our eyes to see things as they are, to see the fullness of life that you have for us. Not only for us, but for us to carry to others. Oh, we long, Lord, to see your light in all the areas of our lives, in the people we come to contact with. So come now. Oh, we give you all the glory and praise. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, church, and worship God. Come to Him, fix your eyes on Him. He's here. Father God, we just thank You for what we heard tonight. It's a great reminder really that in You, it can seem, um, sorry, in, in the life in which we lead, it can seem hopeless, it can seem dark. But when we encounter You and seek out You, great God, there is hope, there is light in You. And for some of us, it may just be a daily reminder, a daily waking up and reminding ourselves to walk in the light of You, to walk in the goodness of You. For some, whether it's online or in here, maybe the very first time to experience the light of You, great God. And so we just thank You so much that we can trust You. Thank You so much that we can surrender to You knowing that You have our best interest at heart, great God. You're a good Father, a good, good Father. And so we thank You, Father, so much. Uh, Lord, what a blessing and privilege just being here to, uh, tonight to worship You, to hear from Your Word and to know, um, yeah, to know Your nearness, great God. It's amazing. So thank You, Lord, and we just pray all these things in Jesus' mighty and precious Name. Amen, amen. Hey, as mentioned, so good to have you here tonight in our auditorium. So good to have you online as well. Now, I just wanna say this, if you responded in some way or another, whether it's online, we'd love to contact you. Feel free to email through to us. We'd love to get a Bible pack out to you. But if you responded here or you wanna just find out a little bit more, we'd love to chat to you after the service as well. Um, feel free to come down and grab one of us. Um, but God bless you so much. Whatever you do this week, uh, may you just go in the strength and the power of God as He equips and enables you. Uh, God bless you so much. So much and uh, we'll see you next Sunday. Thanks heaps.